This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'm Michael, and welcome to Beyond the Screenplay, the podcast where each episode we do a conversational deep dive analysis into a film. Today we are talking about Anatomy of a Fall, the 2023 film written by Justine Trier and Arthur Harari, directed by Justine Trier. I'm joined by the Beyond the Screenplay team, Trisha Rand. Hello, everyone. Brian Bittner. P-I-M-P. And Alex <laughs> Cajeros. Hi. <laughs> Um, okay, so we are in week three of our best picture winter season. Uh, last week, we talked about Poor Things, which was really, really fun. Next week, we're going to be doing a patron exclusive episode talking about acting. So a conversation about acting, uh, kind of something different, something special, but given it's the Oscar season and there's always conversation about who's going to take home the best, you know, actor, blah, 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 uh, be fun to that'd be fun to dive into that and talk about what what kinds of acting do we reward? Do we like? How do people read acting? All those things we're going to get into it. So that's going to be fun next week. Um, and also, if you happen to be watching True Detective Night Country, we've been doing a week by week watch along over on the Patreon, uh, where we release an episode for every new episode of True Detective that's come out, and we share our thoughts. And it's been a very fun, cathartic conversation each time. Lots of lessons. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Lots of lessons. <laughs> I would characterize that uh, series of podcasts on our part as being uh, unfiltered. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. What we're watching. If you want unfiltered beyond the screenplay, what we're watching over on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. Um, okay. But so we're talking about Anatomy of Fall, which is nominated for several Oscars. I should have counted, but including Best Picture. Uh and yeah, let's let's dive in. And best director, notably. Best director. That's mm -hmm. yes. interesting. That's very cool. Um, yeah. So this movie, I knew like literally nothing about this movie except it was called Anatomy of a Fall, and you guys were like, "We're gonna do it," and I was like, "That's okay. I'm gonna watch it now." Uh, and then I guess maybe I knew that it had something to do with courtroom drama, and it, it's. A really interesting movie and i'm still trying to figure out how i feel about it it's very good it's very well done the performances are are amazing and of a style that is very dissimilar to a lot of other performances we've been seeing this year and that are nominated this year and we can talk about that um it's it's slow it's methodical there were times where i was sort of trying to figure out like what is this about what do I want to happen? Like, who am I rooting for? But I was always like engaged and kind of like living in the world of this film. Uh, you know, there's 
zero score, I think, maybe, uh, or very near to it, if we're not counting the instrumental version of PIMP by 50 Cent. Um, and and I was also, like, thrown by just, like, what is the French justice system? Uh, like, <laughs> right. there was some really... Why? really wild <laughs> really wild things going on and sometimes it's really fun like watching different you know like english dramas where they go to court and they have the wigs on and you're like oh interesting mm. like that's how you guys do it so it was really interesting to infer but some of it i was like is it is it really like this it's really fascinating so it was a little disorienting just trying to understand like you know a different culture and how they handle the sort of the investigative process, but it was also really interesting. And I thought it was impressive how the movie navigated, like straddled that line of it's never clear, you know, if she's guilty or not guilty in my mind, like it somehow made it. Yeah. I just didn't know. And so it was all about what do I think and kept me in that mode of like imagining and like, what is justice and all, all these things. So I'm still trying to figure out kind of how I feel about it other than it was good and do I like it? I'm still trying to piece that together, but I think I do. And this might be one of those conversations where the more we talk about it, the more I like it. Trisha, what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, very similar to you. I was, I knew very little about it and I was riveted just from the very get-go. I, I just think it's a fascinating movie. I had seen one of Justine Trier's other films. I saw Sybil, um, which is another uh, film that she had at Cannes and uh, a few years ago starring Adela Agasarkopoulos, um, who I just love. And and I really did enjoy Sybil. Um, kind of like this, it's a genre mishmash of things. And with Sybil, I felt like it didn't always work kind of um, jamming some I like genre tropey things or kind of playing with genre things kind of all together in that movie. It felt disjointed in a way that I think this movie actually, I think this movie actually works a lot better f even with all of the different things that she has in here where it's like, it's this sort of family drama. Um, it's also this kind of just mystery as well as being like a courtroom drama. And it's kind of bringing in different, um, I don't know, I guess like different scenes or th expectations that we might have um, from this kind of movie and playing with them and kind of using our, the interplay of our expectations with us watching this. Um, as a, a part of the text almost, right? Like it's presenting, even the style of it, it's presenting itself as kind of like a true crime, right? Like it feels documentary almost in style. The lack of extra diegetic music and the editing style, um, even like the camera work, the performances being so understated, it really is like, this is a, a true crime story. We're kind of showing you like this documentary about this thing. And like, no matter how the court case goes, you kind of end up having to make up your own mind about the facts as you're being presented with the facts such as they are. And that's really interesting. In this day and age, I think that's like a fascinating kind of a story to tell. And then on another level, like I, I just really appreciate a, a film where it seems like it's sort of diving deeply into thematic complexity 
um, and exploring the many, many, many different facets at the heart of the theme. And I, I just feel like this movie does all of that spectacularly, you know, in a very subtle foreign film kind of way. Um, but I, I just, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every second of it. I mean, it's cool as hell. Like, like at the end of the day, you just, the movie's done and you're like, damn, that movie's cool. Like, uh, it's got a lot of poise. Um, and I just respect it so much. So yeah, really, really enjoyed this. Nice. Cool. Alex, what about you? Yeah. Very similar feelings to you, Trisha. I saw it in theaters and then watched it again recently. Um, side note, I'm disappointed with the Apple TV quality of the stream of this movie, like whatever, Hmm. you know, MPEG file they got from the studio for this was not to my quality standards especially for an apple tv rental it should have been 4k and it was like hd and kind of not great encoding hmm. that aside Boo. i enjoyed it <laughs> both times a lot and i think a, a lot of what was so refreshing about the experience of watching it was the respect i felt for the film in its commitment to its style to its the naturalistic form of dialogue and acting the kind of deep objectivity of it of it all like it really never pulls on your heartstrings in any kind of melodramatic way it doesn't use music to manipulate you it truly just presents you with a series of scenes of humans interacting in this very naturalistic interesting way and it's all on you as the audience member to just investigate for yourself what do you make of what i'm seeing come out of these people but we're not given a lot of insight into their interiors through all these movie tricks we usually use, which would be flashbacks or, uh, you know, music. I mean, there, there are some moments of flashback, but even those are presented as this is what it, somebody is talking about right now in the scene. They're, they're telling a story about the past, presenting a theory about the past. And we're seeing a visualization of that, but we're not ever really told this is what happened. Even at the end, when the little boy is telling the story about his dad in the car, He's telling the story. We're seeing his words come out of the dad's mouth. Mm -hmm. That could have been a fabricated story. The movie's not bothering to tell us one way or the other. Aha, this is what happened. This is the truth. Um, And I love that the movie like sticks to its guns all the way through. And so I just leave this movie feeling, yeah, just so much respect for it. And like you said, Trisha, it has such poise in that way. It feels very confident and very... It knows what it is, and it just does the hell out of that, whatever it is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Cool. Okay. And Brian, what about you? Yeah, I mean, just just echoing what you guys were saying, there's, there's something I hadn't really thought about until, until listening to you guys talk, which was the there's a sort of realism in this movie by not trying to be just one thing. It's not trying to be a really quiet drama. It's not trying to be a really tense drama like like courtroom you know thriller kind of thing it's like kind of quirky and funny and 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 all of that gives it a dimensionality that just makes it feel like this these are just real people who live in this world you know um and uh, yeah i also really uh really enjoyed it i found it really compelling it's not a it's not a who done it it's just a done it um and it's it's like got this slow pacing but it's always moving forward and i just got really caught up in like dissecting uh her performance and all the details apparently um 
uh, Sandra Hewler kept asking Justine Trier if she did it or not, and she just wouldn't answer her, um, which I find really interesting uh, because it's kind of as we talked about in our Poor Things episode, a movie is just what you are watching and it's not there there is no world outside of the movie the information that the movie gives you and therefore it's an interesting choice to say the actor doesn't get any more information than the mm. audience has right um as opposed to it made me think of doubt um the john patrick shanley play and then film with uh philip seymour hoffman and um and meryl streep and is that a stone in that amy, amy adams. adams amy adams okay yeah i was like i don't think uh, so it was like seven. Um, but uh, but yeah, apparently John Patrick Shanley only ever tells like Philip Seymour Hoffman and whoever played Father Flynn in the original production, like the truth and doesn't tell anybody else. Right. So like that actor gets to have that information. So anyway, that's all interesting. But this movie is obviously withholding information from us, even just by having the inciting incident not even be the fall like it's it's or, or if it is it happens seven minutes into the movie or something right and not 20 um and i don't think it is the inciting incident but i think it happens sooner than you would expect it to happen such that it's like oh yeah we have no information about the past as the audience so we are piecing everything together through this potentially unre unreliable narrator and watching her to see what does she think what do we think that she thinks what are, you know the opening like the opening conversation is about, you know, oh, the way that you talk about your son's accident, like the way that you describe it, right? Like it's all sort of this, this kind of t suggesting to the audience that, that what you're being told may not be, may not be the truth. Uh, and to me, that just kept me kind of fascinated the whole way through. Yeah. I, I read that she kept asking the director, did I do it or am I innocent? And I think she did get out of the director go ahead and play it as if you're innocent. Right. And she was <laughs> like, that doesn't help me really. Yeah, that's, not yeah. that's pretty great. <laughs> yeah. I do think it's interesting, though, that you talk about the beginning there, Brian, and there is that opening credit sequence with the piano music under it that has the, like, snapshots of their family. Mm. And... I don't think that that's like emotional manipulation or something just because there's music. I actually think that's reinforcing this idea of it's doing expository work to catch us up just a little bit on the couple. But again, it's not dropping us into their POV. It's presenting them from the outside, right? Through a camera lens, literally. These are still photographs. They were captured at one brief moment in time. So they're providing some context, but not, you know, not in such a way as to be quote unquote truth with a capital T. It's not like the movie is suggesting to us, this is who these people are. It's very much telling us this is how these people are, have been captured, presented like through a camera lens. This is an, again, this documentary style. Um, and you are the viewer looking at them in the same way that everybody in the movie is looking at them from the outside. All we know is what we can see from the outside. We are not given anything from the inside. And the credit sequence gives us, I think to me at least, it hooks me into the relationship, which is needed, the relationship um, between the central character whose name totally escapes me right now. I apologize. It's the same as the actor. Is it Sandra? Sandra. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, their, na their names are Sandra and Samuel. Anyway. Yeah. Um, but it, it absolutely <laughs> hooks me into their relationship, which is so key because 
he's not going to be in so much of the movie, but the their relationship is so much a part of the mystery, right? And so I think it's cool to have those snapshots um, and that little credit sequence because it just it helps us get there so much while doing thematic work or like, yeah, again, presenting like, this is what the movie is going to be like, this sort of documentary thing. Yeah. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there are a lot of really interesting things, as you brought up, Trisha, the sort of the genre and what it's playing around with, the style of the storytelling and sort of the thematic conversation at its core, which I think is why you can make a, a murder mystery you know, ish thing and have, you know, you never solve the mystery. Like that's okay if it's doing thematic work. So we can talk about that. I think it is also interesting. So diving into kind of the plot stuff, it, it is the way they portray the fall or don't portray the fall is also interesting that we're following the kid. Like we go on the walk with the kid and then the kid comes back and sort of discovers, you know, his father's body. And, I think that's an interesting, you know, it's a tiny component, but it's nice to know that we know he doesn't know either. Like, we know he doesn't know right. what happened, and we know the dog doesn't know what happened. And that's a useful little bit of information when you're trying to triangulate, because I think if you were, it kind of helps us be in the kid's perspective in some ways, at least for me, especially toward the, the back half, when the kid is in some ways trying to figure out just as much like, did my mom kill my, like, is that possible? Like, I know all these things about them. Like, could she have done that? And so putting it, that gives us a little bit of a, like a perspective to step inside sometimes, which I found like useful and helped me like relate to the situation, especially in the back half of the movie. Yeah. It's really interesting when you think about, we usually talk about a protagonist in a film making a critical choice in the third act of the film, which kind of, brings forth the theme or shows their character change or expresses something about themselves. It's Daniel, the kid who's making the choice at the end, you know, and, and there's even the, that really pivotal kind of really thematic moment where he's talking with the court um, liaison. And she's essentially saying when you, when you can't possibly ever know, you have to decide. And he is the one who decides and ultimately decides his mother's fate. Um, and I think that's really interesting how, the movie feels so much like it's about Sandra and we are with her and her experience so much, but we can never hundred percent know her experience because we, we can never hundred percent know the truth. Um, yeah. Very interesting kind of dual protagonist thing going on there. And only one of them really has the power at the end of the story to make that choice and change the outcome. Yeah. I think it gives it a kind of a different, I'm sure there are plenty of other courtroom dramas that have this sort of that character who kind of comes in and gives the testimony, you know, but but a lot of times it's like the defendant giving their monologue about about whatever is sort of the that kind of third act thing that you're talking about, which she does plenty throughout this movie and she's awesome every time. Um, but it but it's very it really like re-energizes the movie, I think, to give it that third act um, with with Daniel suddenly becoming this sort of 
POV character and um and then yeah as as you just said Alex making a big choice that uh that that feeds into the the finale of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, and of course it gives it this um having that character be blind gives it this the incredible thematic richness, right? Where it's like this is mm. the person um who's we are in his position and the movie signals to us from the beginning like he is blind he is the audience surrogate here you know get ready everybody you're not gonna know like pretty much um because we know that he doesn't know pretty much from the outset he does remember other things here and there and no one knows his parents better than he does so we assume he has a lot of context for the events of the day that a lot of that we do not have but at the end of the day, he does not know what happened. And the movie never wavers from that. And the POV really never shifts um, where, yeah, we're kind of, that's all we've got is the information that he's got. And yeah, from a symbolic standpoint and literally he's blind. So I was just thinking about, so we've been talking about over on the what we're watching on Patreon, uh, the new True Detective season, Th that show, the season really loves mystery boxes and uh, mysterious open questions. We don't have any knowledge of what this means, but we're going to keep showing you, you know, mysterious symbols, whatnot. And this movie, I think, is such a great example of when a mystery is effective in helping us to lean in because we have just enough information about we have some context for this family, the dynamics of this family, what was going on, uh, but we don't have all the information and we have the information we're missing is constantly forcing us to lean forward and read into the performances and try to yeah. understand, do they know something that I don't? Are they hiding something? Are they lying to the police? Because you know, even early on when Daniel kind of changes his story about, oh, it wasn't this tape, I felt it was this tape. Is that Daniel covering uh, for his mom? Is that Daniel actually genuinely being confused? Like, we can't know because we're missing that information of his interiors. But like, but we know enough and we know enough about these characters that it's exciting to try to figure out what's going on as opposed to a mystery box where you're you're not given enough information to even have a thought about what anything could mean. Um, and this movie feels like it's always it's always giving me just enough to to be making theories, trying to understand what's happening in any given scene. And that's why I'm always engaged and not just detached and kind of confused as we were talking about in uh, Night Country. And having the lawyer be an old family friend is another great example of that, too. Right. Where when mm. the lawyer arrives, the movie doesn't tell you who he is right away. Right. It just like shows his right. car pulling up and he gets out and they kind of hug and it's awkward. And she's like, it's so weird seeing you like this. And he's like, yeah, it is. And um, he's clearly never been to their house before. Right. Like there's all these interesting aspects of like, what is this relationship? And eventually she introduces him um, to their housekeeper, nanny or their friend. Right. Uh, who sometimes watches Daniel. And she says, you know, oh, he's an, a lawyer. He's an old family friend kind of thing. But again, you could have had a lawyer that's just like this detached 
paternal, you know, stranger to the family. He's just here to give sound legal advice. But by making it this friend, maybe he's in love with her. There's all this history. He knows the family, but there's clearly some tension here. It just it makes us lean forward, as you're saying, Alex, where in that whole scene where she's re- repeating to him what she told the police. And he's like, no, no, no. Just say it exactly how you said it to them. Don't give me any more information. Like, mm-hmm. it, I'm just like so thirsty for like what is going on mm-hmm. in all of these subtle details of that conversation. Yeah. And I think that's exactly, that's exactly the, the sort of that tightrope that it's walking. Like you were just saying, Alex, which is, which is like, too much information and we're not leaning forward anymore because we're like, oh, okay, we have, we know everything. We know what's going on. Right. But then too little information and it's the mystery box problem. I think the only time that happened to me was when like the dog aspirin thing happened. Oh, right. Yeah. I was just like, what the hell right. is going on? Right. Yeah, but then yeah, that yeah. lasted for like a couple minutes and, and the movie kind of, I think wanted you to feel a little off at that moment and not quite understand what's going on be like, well, I remember something about the, something about this. And you, maybe you're trying to put it together in your own head. I really but, desperately needed that dog to be okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the worst part of the movie. Like a guy died, whatever, like this right. dog cannot die on screen right now. This is really disturbing. Right. Uh, and then, and then, you know, the kid's performance, especially just like freaking yeah. out and just like, yeah. no. too um, real. But but I'd say other than that moment, which I think it feels a little bit on purpose, um, that we're not given quite enough information to know what's going on there, um, to be sort of seated. Um, I, I yeah, I constantly felt that that like I have just enough information to be really well grounded and just little enough information to always be leaning mm-hmm. forward. And there's a clear consequence, like whether like she's going to jail or not, right? Like we know what's at stake at this point. And we, I think, can see that she clearly loves her son, whether she did it or not. And like the son loves her. And like, you know, there's a, if she didn't do it, it's going to be a tragedy. Like that's not fair to like rip this family apart after everything that they've done. If she did do it, then, oh, like scandalous. And how do I feel about that? So like, it's simple, but the meaning is clear so that I am invested so when something tilts one way or the other i'm doing that mental calculation like you were talking about alex of like oh but this is going to mean that and what's going to happen here and that and so clear meaning and sort of i also just thought it was really interesting this sort of thematic exploration of like how much of a person's life can you know only from the outside right like and i think you know a lot of you know courtroom dramas can get into that but this movie feels like that's one of its central pillars almost is like we as we've said we don't know the truth we don't know their interior all we have to judge are these external performances or like privately recorded message like you know tapes but even that has a little bit of a twist on it like well but he was recording it for his book like was it on purpose did he start the fight so like there's there's an like the whole thing is like an unreliable narrator much like it would be in real life but it's just interesting that we have this need as we're seeing in the court to like create a story and like figure out well Mm. which story was it it's got to be this or that and we will attach our own judgments and say well that's weird you wouldn't do that probably what you actually did was this thing and it's just complete conjecture and and again i want to know how the french justice system works and if that's actually allowed Uh, (laughs) but it's just interesting how much of that the court case was about 
figuring out which story was it. And the text even calls this out, right? It's like one of her books, like people want to know like what the story was. And that's just an interesting, there's just so many layers to that, right? That's true crime gets into all of that. Also just our, the way we react to celebrities and scandals, all these things, it's all kind of contained in the story. And again, the, the movie committing so hard to not tipping its hand one way or the other or adding judgment or trying to influence us just makes that that frustration of like, but why is it like this so palpable, which I right. feel like is its its goal. Yeah, and speaking of, of French fiction, uh, I've also mentioned The Stranger by Camus many times, um, which I love. And um, it's, it's like a story about a guy who's like a little bit different. And then in the middle of the story, he like at the midpoint, he commits this kind of random crime. And then the second half is not really about whether he's guilty of the crime, but whether he's guilty like as a person. So it's sort of people from his life coming and, and being on, you know, um, witnesses to to his character essentially and and then whether or not whether or not he like as a as a person should be should be allowed to be set free essentially um and that's very much what this movie felt it's also what the um uh, the finale of Seinfeld is based on so having all those characters <laughs> come back um and uh but yeah and and then the interesting thing is you mentioned Trisha with the lawyer being also a family friend is we get both sides of that right we get in one character, the personal side and the public law side, right? So there are all those scenes where he says, I know you didn't do it, but that's not the point. Or like the point is not whether or not you did this or where you're here. The point is, is there evidence of that? Is there, you know what I mean? And then she is sort of feeling like she's getting from both sides from this person kind of attacked, but also, but also supported. And I think that makes, that makes a really interesting dynamic between them. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do feel like he never actually says to her, I know you didn't do it, sure. I, I think, which I think was really interesting. Like, I think like, he says a lot of passive, like, I know or whatever, right. but not right. like, I like believe not, she, you. She's yeah. looking she's looking for that sentence from him and he never quite gives it to her, which I thought was really interesting. And again, with the ulterior motive of maybe he's in love with her, if he said that, we could never trust it either. Like, I think that's one of the interesting right. constructions, as we've been saying about this movie, is like anyone who in a different scenario might be a trustworthy source is not because we understand, well, there's a reason why they might manipulate the truth for their own gains in a way that isn't evil. It's just the way things the way are. people are. Yeah. People. Yeah. Well, getting into themes, it you know, Trisha, you kind of mentioned there's so much thematic conversation happening here, and and one of the themes that seems to be popping out to me is almost just yeah the impossibility of like finding some objective truth in just like a mess of humanity. You know, like like all these characters are so human, and like and like we've been saying, no one character seems to be above it all or some objective perspective that we can trust, um, and and so then it it raises questions about the justice system and this whole idea of finding the truth about anything. How can you, when all of this is just interactions between humans, none of which are objective, none of which, you know, are not without their own motivations and reasons for doing things. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier, Alex, but the key that really unlocks the thematic key that really unlocks the movie for me is that scene with him in like the court, um, guardian or whoever that he's with. And she says, you know, when the, the not knowing is unbearable, 
basically you have to just decide. And then he talks a lot about understanding. And to me, when I sort of think about trying to put this theme of this movie into a sentence, it's something along the lines of um, there doesn't need to be truth for understanding. Uh, or just that like truth and understanding are kind of irrelevant to each other. And I think that there's, there are sort of two extreme angles or like extreme sides of that coin in the movie. First with Samuel, um, who is so obsessed with truth. It feels like there's no longer any, any understanding, um, in him, like of him and their marriage. And, um, like, you know, we see in that argument that he's just like telling his story of what their marriage is. And there's like not room for her story anymore. And, and she's like, kind of, you know, they're, they're kind of arguing facts, which is really interesting, right? Where he's like, well, you cheated on me. She's like, that is not at all what happened. Like it went this way. It was different. Um, you plundered my book. Well, no, you knew what was happening there. It's interesting that even in that argument, they're having a debate about facts, um, because they're telling, two different stories about the events that occurred. Right. Um, and that's really fascinating. And it seems like, yeah, there's this, uh, total lack of understanding, um, because there's an obsession with getting to some kind of truth. And then on the other side, you have to my mind, actually the dog character and Snoop <laughs> is his name. Snoop. <laughs> <laughs> This joins Titanic as uh, Best Picture nominees with Snoop Dogg references. <laughs> but it's interesting that the dog is kind of around, obviously, at all of these key moments. And I think, to my mind, the dog kind of has only, like, devotion and understanding and obviously no no interest in the truth or, like, no way to know it, right? Sort of, like, just blind understanding. Um, and – or – devotion in this case. And that in itself is also like kind of damaging or, you know, unideal in some ways, harmful really. Right. It's interesting in the scene after uh, Daniel gives him the aspirin, the very next scene, we see the dog following just following him just as committedly as ever. Right. Mm. And it's like this kid nearly killed you, but you're still just like, this is my boy. I'm following him. This is what I do. I'm a dog, right? Like there's no under, there's no sense of the truth, which is that he literally was toxic to you. He poisoned you. And yet you're still as committed to him as ever. And at the very, very end, he goes and lies down in bed with the mom, right? With Sandra's character. And some of us in the audience are privately thinking, well, she just got away with a murder, but the dog isn't interested mm. in the truth. It's just this committed, right. you know, it's just this understanding of like, I'm just going to go lie down with my human um, because dogs are better than we are. But, <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, there's, there are two sides to this coin, right? Like you can have, I guess, like truth and then an obsession with truth that precludes love or precludes understanding or compassion. And then you can have just like total empathy and compassion, but no interest in the truth. And neither one of those things is um, healthy, really, right? Or mm -hmm. uh, is portrayed as being like the ideal way to live. And I think that that's fascinating. I think there, are, I think the Sandra character is stuck in the middle between those two extremes where 
Um, she has her own sort of version of the truth of their marriage and the truth of the story. Uh, but then is guilty at times of not understanding either. Like it, she's kind of holding all of it or, um, yeah, it's really very complicated theme. Uh, but I think very clearly rendered, uh, through everything. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, interesting. You talk about the argue, the big argument that we hear played in the courtroom and, yeah, Samuel, it's not just trying to get at the truth. It's also trying to get at, like, justice. You know, it's like, what's fair in this marriage? I did this. You did this. That, therefore, now I deserve this amount of time for myself. And it's, it's yeah, the dog, like you said, is a really interesting counterpoint to that, where the dog's not interested in retribution or compensation for whatever has wronged him. He's just there to keep loving. <laughs> and and these humans, yeah. you know, in, the, in, the, in this argument are, like, the opposite. They are all about categorizing all the different you know ills and how can they be you know how can justice be dealt out for all these ills yeah well yeah and it's i find all this really fascinating also they talk about this in my book that i mentioned last week that you guys laughed me out of the room for and i couldn't i'm listening properly. to the audiobook and it's really interesting you're cool it's no one laughed out loud at you. Yes, you did. All of you did. And you distracted me. You ruined <laughs> well, my whole. This is such thing. a Michael book. <laughs> yes, I know. But but it it is it's kind of a, a you know another angle on like yeah morality and how we seem to want to impose like morality or responsibility and and I think it was really interesting what you said earlier, Trisha, of like the the facts don't have like relevance to understanding or like it's not a direct causality situation and in that argument that we're talking about that was very like excellent excellently written and performed i feel like you know the, we have the framework of they're in the court they're going to play back this argument that they had and then it goes into flashback mode so we're seeing it like you know as the audience we get to maybe see what the people in the the courtroom can't but then when the fight happens, right, we cut back to the courtroom. So, again, we can't mm -hmm. we don't really know how it happened. And so still withholding information from us. Yeah. Right. Right. So that was all expertly done. And with every volley back and forth, I found myself going like he's making good point. No, she's making good point. No, he's mm -hmm. making. No, she's making. like each line. I feel like there was. And I think maybe it's interesting because each one did seem to be based in facts, but it was also an interesting demonstration of how facts can be used for whatever argument you want if if you're a good enough right. storyteller. And right. so it's almost like who gets to tell the story at the end of the day. It's interesting that both characters are writers. And then again, that the, the son essentially gets to write the ending of the story. So there's something interesting here around facts and storytelling and, and meaning and all of that. This also ties back to what we're saying about um, like understanding does not have to rely on truth. And in the son, I think for himself, not just for like resolving the court case needed to understand how this could happen. This like mm -hmm. unthinkable thing happened. What story can I, can I piece together that can make it make sense? And that's like a, their human need like we if a horrible tragedy happens we have to have an explanation for it and otherwise we feel very unsettled and can't can't move on can't grieve it and so i kind of love that at the end of this movie it, it does feel like and like the liaison says decide he decides on a story and and he finds a fact from his past this car ride 
to feed into that story and decide this is what happened. Mm-hmm. Presumably a fact. And when he gets up to testify, it's in the text. He says in the courtroom, when I think of my mother pushing my father, I don't understand. Right. When I think of my father jumping, I begin to understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that line. That, like... Yeah. And and yeah, it's again this idea that like understanding is possible when truth is not. But it's still messed up because it's like just because you understand it doesn't mean that's what happened. Like, and that's right. Just, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. But but I think I think that's where this movie is really fascinating. I think I I struggle with movies that choose not to give you an answer at the end um, when I feel like they're when I feel like the movie is trying to have it both ways and I've, I've often maligned the spinning top you guys knew what I was going to say, <laughs> the end of inception because, and one, one of these days we'll do a proper podcast episode on inception, but I feel like the theme of that movie is two different things depending on whether or not the top is spinning. And, and that's what frustrates me because I feel like the movie is saying one thing or the other, but I'm totally on board with movies. Uh, actually recently watched another one that I won't, don't want to mention because of, (laughs) you know, Um, but uh, I'm fascinated by movies that are, that is the theme. The theme is that, that there isn't a a sort of straight answer, right? So therefore we are not going to give you the audience a straight answer. Um, And it's exactly what you're saying, Tricia. The, this movie is not about whether or not she did it. This movie is about their relationship and her kind of coming to term, you know, her midpoint monologue with the psychiatrist, just like relationships are <laughs> complicated. <laughs> like this is how it is. And then of course, Daniel's arc uh, in the third act coming to terms with everything um, is, is that's what the movie is about. And yes, it's frustrating as the audience to not know the answer. Right. But the, the, the truth, if we are in, in, in Daniel's shoes, then we are maybe going to go the rest of our lives, not knowing the answer. So that's the way that we, as the audience have to have to be too, but we have, but we are, we have to come to terms with the fact that thematically that's what this movie is trying to do. And therefore, therefore denying us the answer is very much a, a purposeful choice mm-hmm. i'm so american i was so braced for the other shoe to drop mm-hmm. at the very yep. very end yeah. where they would like give us the hint of something so glad it didn't i was so worried mm-hmm. i'm so glad too uh, what i thought it was gonna be was her like going to tuck her son into bed and saying something like well you know i took the dog to the hospital right like or you know something like that where it's clear that he like made that story up um, regardless of whether or not she pushed him, or she pushed the dad, but like something that hints at the maybe falseness of his testimony. Um, but it didn't, it didn't do that. I was, I was, yeah, I was like, God. just, yeah. just <laughs> show me some credits as soon as possible because right. don't do some, some videos. Yeah. That's the integrity that this movie has. You know, it's yeah. like, yes. it's not tempted to do that. I don't easy twist, you know, gotcha ending. All right. Because I yeah. feel like that'd be the ending for the wrong like genre of what it mm-hmm. like ultimately is, right. Yeah. right? Like I feel like it it's as we've said, it's kind of juggling these things, but ultimately, as you were just saying there, Brian also like it knows what it's saying and what it's here to do. And, and yeah, it is nice to see a movie that is confident. Part of it, I think, also that created that suspense is like the movie takes its time with that like final little bit, but that's also just the style of this movie. Like this, this movie does just take its time and there are moments where it is just sort of unfolding realistically 
uh, you know, on a natural time scale, there's like, yeah, sort of long takes. The performances are all very, very naturalistic, like in a way that's extremely impressive, actually. Um, but like, yeah, even in the style, like muted colors, like there's there's very little here that's like trying to tell you kind of anything about how you should be feeling about it. Right. Uh, I feel like the most characterized in a sort of archetypal way is like the the prosecutor, right? The the bad guy, the guy who's like <laughs> so clearly good. the antagonist. She's like so he's aggressive. The, yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and he's, he's great, right? He's totally playing that role. I feel like he was the only one where I was like, oh, well, I'm supposed to not like you. Like you were supposed mm, to be right. a force of frustration in this movie. But that's your that's your role also in the world of the story. And you were doing it exactly right. right. It's fun to watch an actor who who's playing a character who likes to be a dick. It's not just the <laughs> actor who likes it. It's like, oh, the character is enjoying this, too. Yeah. Also, I just want to live in this world where you just stop on the way home from getting exonerated in court and have like a three hour dinner before you get home to your right. kid. Like, <laughs> just drink yeah. a lot. <laughs> and like, again, I feel like even that is like more fodder for like me to be like judgmental of like, wait, would an innocent person do that? Well, I mean, maybe. Yeah, Michael, like, why am I trying to judge so hard? Every little thing like. Right. Her son fell asleep waiting up for her. Like, right. mm, how do I feel about that as a mother? Yeah. <laughs> well, and the one little moment that got me was when she asks the court guardian if she's going to stay over. Mm-hmm. Um, where she's like, oh, you're you're not staying? And she's like, no, no, I'm going to head home. And she's like, oh, okay, I'll see you later. Um, and it reminded me so much of the opening scene of this movie, which is where she's flirting with the grad student that's there to interview her. Oh, interesting. And... It just struck me as being this very, like, Sandra has not changed moment, like, at all. Um, Yeah. And whether, I mean, that doesn't mean anything in particular other than Sandra has not changed. And that in itself is really interesting, like, little thematic button on the end. And again, it's one of those, it's like, I don't feel like the movie is about her character changing you know i feel like it's nope. more about her character kind of almost almost the opposite right it like like coming to terms with with the reality of it all right what and the character yeah. that does change daniel is in this interesting he's put in this interesting position in the final shot of them together where he's kind of cradling her kissing her head like almost yeah. being the parent and almost parent. an awkward way um but but it was really interesting because i think that was a very overt end for that character is like he's almost decided to take care of her um with the testimony and with just you know making this choice so why don't we go around and say what lessons we're going to take from anatomy of a fall trisha do you want to start us off sure um yeah we already have talked about it a little bit but i love that argument scene that they have the like long protracted argument flashback scene um i think it's a, an excellent example of a very realistic feeling argument in a long-term relationship um, where the issues that are being brought up um, are very realistic issues that couples face. And at the same time, these are very intelligent people who have clearly talked about things before and they clearly have um, negotiated and made made concessions to each other. And it just has this wonderful sense of being lived in. 
and at the same time not dumbed down or over-dramatized. Like, it feels just this incredibly pitch-perfect, um, this is what a real argument is is kind of like. And it carries with it all of this sense of history. Like, the information that they are are discussing is providing more expository context, but feels organic in the argument. And the uh, self-awareness and the way that they're sort of like engaging with the psychology of the other person and like, well, you do this and you do this. And like, I noticed this is happening and this is why you did this at the time. And you told me and I know who I know you. Right. It there's a real intimacy to the way that they're negotiating and navigating that situation. And again, with a lot of like intelligence, self-awareness, like it's not this like I'm just going to scream and yell and throw a thing. It is very uh, measured and and just sort of, yeah, to my mind, entertaining without trying, acting like it's trying to be entertaining, right? Um, and it, of course, arrives at a key moment in the movie where they've talked about it. It's It's another one of those excellent mystery box kind of things, but that actually is a mystery because we hear it, that there is a recording much earlier on in the movie. And then we're like, God, what was the fight? Like, what was it about? What happened in the recording? Why was it being recorded? Like all of this stuff and how damning is it? What comes out? Um, and then it, it teases that out until we get there. And then when we get there, we see again, this like, this easily could have been the last straw for Samuel, Right. This easily could have felt like an argument that could end a marriage for either one of them. But we don't know. And it easily, just as easily could have been the everyday average argument that maybe the next day they would have calmly talked in her bedroom and it would have been fine. Right. I love how it's handled. And I feel like the dialogue itself is something that I want to go back and read again. Also would be really fun to do as like a scene exercise. Like if you were a director, like just pull that argument mm. and play around with it with actors and camera angles. And, you know, I feel like it's so instructive and rich for like study and acting moments and all of these things. So just, yeah, hats off to that. For sure. Yeah. I feel like it's one of the best scenes I've seen in a long time. It's very, very good. Yeah. Easily. Alex, what about you? What's your lesson? Um, just getting back to how this movie has that um, poise, that poise. And I think what that word's getting at for me is restraint, uh, like good restraint, not boring restraint, not minimalist for minimalist sake restraint, but knowing that your subject is interesting enough that you don't need to amp it up. And so when we're in the courtroom, I really like just seeing like courtroom proceedings feeling incredibly realistic and like how they would be. And so I'm riveted watching someone do the forensic spatter uh, analysis and then be questioned about it and really feel like an actual just normal human being with her own quirks or whatever, being a forensic spatter uh, expert and answering factual questions about it. There's 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 enough drama in the reality of that that you don't need to amp it up with 
I don't know, something more Hollywood, something more movie about that scene. It's just a matter of fact discussion of an interpretation of facts. And it's just interesting to see just the thing without trying to add stuff to it. Um, so it's just a good lesson, I think. If your subject matter is already inherently interesting, showing us the incredibly like grounded, realistic, not amped up version of that very interesting thing can ultimately be more interesting than the Hollywooded version where we kind of start to, I start to disengage now where it's just like, oh yeah, it's this scene. Once again, you know, we've been talking about True Detective Night Country. There's scenes in that show, you know, uh, that feel like the more generic version of that scene. And it feels like, yeah, it's the Hollywood version of that scene. This is the scene where this, you know, kind of drama happens and it goes down in the way that I expect because I'm in this kind of safe genre generic zone. And I actually am more engaged when I'm like, oh, they did their research. Like somebody knows what a court proceeding is like in France. And I'm going to watch like a very realistic expression of that now. That's more interesting to me than just yet again watching the thing I've seen in every other movie played out with different characters. So just knowing, yeah, knowing when you have an interesting enough storyline to not, yeah, don't don't try to amp it up. Lean into what's real and grounded and researched, and that's that's what's going to be really engaging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, with like the stakes have been set up super clear, like there's meaning Correct. to it. Yeah. So like you don't have to substitute style for stakes, and I think that's right. sometimes right. what a Hollywood the, movie the tracks do. have been laid. Yes. Yeah. So it's like yeah. now it's just let the dominoes fall in the most interesting grounded way possible. Yeah. 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 Brian, what's your lesson? Well, yeah. Piggybacking off of that. And, and speaking of true detective night country, we, we've been talking on, <laughs> on those episodes about pacing and urgency and escalation or lack thereof. Uh, and this movie, you know, it's two and a half hours, which is not long these days for a movie, but it's long for this kind of movie. 100%. Um, and yeah. And, but I was watching myself in that way that you sort of are watching yourself, watch a, watch a movie sometimes. And you're like, Oh, why am I feeling this way right now? I was watching myself be continually pulled into it. Um, and I noticed that there's an escalation from, from each act, uh, to the next that, that kept reengaging me. Uh, so I was kind of thinking about the structure of it all. We have act one, we have the the fall and the aftermath of that, right? Is there going to be an indictment? Yes, there is. Act 2A is sort of trial, trial stuff, right? Kind of trial business. And then midpoint, we have that argument with a psychiatrist, which is like a character turning point. It's a thematic turning point. It's an emotional turning point. Like suddenly this trial, which has been kind of like dry facts, is now getting real and personal. Um, and then that's basically immediately followed with the audio playback, which we are actually seeing. So now we're leaning in because we're like, oh, we actually get to see what happened. And we spent so much of the movie just being like, everything is just being told through, through her, you know, her narration, essentially her monologues, um, that now we actually get to see some of it. And then there's 20 minutes and I, and I've checked, it's exactly 20 minutes where we go back into trial mode. And then we're just sort of like doing some trial stuff. And then we get into act three, Daniel, the dog experiments, the, the, the testimony, the verdict essentially. Right. And then in the, I also realized in that third act, Daniel's trust is what's at stake now. 
it's not just is she going to to, to go to jail it's oh mm-hmm. is her does her son trust her right like so mm-hmm. then it's like becomes so much more close so each act gets more urgent more personal more high stakes except for that 20 minutes which i noticed was the only time where i found myself kind of disengaging a bit and it's not that those 20 minutes are not good or that those scenes aren't good it's just that i realized the movie kept going here's the next escalation here's the next escalation and then it kind of took a step back and said now we're going back into kind of act 2a land for a little while here before we get into the third act um and i realized it was similar to killers of the flower moon where we talked about act 2b having this sort of dip where it's almost like first 60 percent of the movie i'm there with you last 30 percent of the movie i'm there with you and then there's maybe 10 percent where you're kind of going like all right i feel like it's not midpoint driving towards a finale it's kind of like now we're we're hanging out for a little bit before the the third act of this movie really takes off um and of course your mileage may vary depending on 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 you know the audience but my lesson is just like about what this movie does really well which is always ratcheting up the stakes and emotion um and always feeling like each act is is moving forward and is more personal and and urgent than the previous act but then also the risk of if you if you regress to an earlier state of escalation then that can kind of disengage the audience a little bit it doesn't mean it's the wrong choice it just means that that's the risk yeah yeah it's interesting because i feel like also around that time you know the movie is sort of as we've called out like shifting protagonists almost and so like Mm -hmm. i don't remember it that much but i wonder if it almost is doing some earlier act setup stuff that's required for us to kind of mode shift into now we're kind of with Daniel. That's his name. Yeah. Uh, for that finale. I do think Daniel becomes the focus after hearing that argument. Cause I right. think that is, right. I think that's like the, the big piece of information that now is throwing him into doubt about what actually happened mm-hmm. um so it makes sense to me that the, the movie may be uh, doing a gear shift there we're moving away from the sandra focus now into his mind and what's, what's he going to do about this right yeah. but, but yeah it's a it's a like a pretty long scene breaking down what they heard in the audio and then it's the scene reading from her novel about like mm-hmm. this character right mm-hmm. so i think it's just, just sort of like insane i don't understand right <laughs> yeah but it's this thing of like we've kind of we've kind of wrapped up her her through line in this trial and then we're we haven't gotten to Daniel yet and it just feels like it and, and it'd be interesting to rewatch it knowing that Daniel is gonna become the sort of protagonist of the third mm-hmm. act to see if maybe it is doing that work. Um but yeah, it was just the one point where I found myself feeling like everything wasn't just like completely driving into the next beat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder that scene where we're the, he's like reading from her novel, which is bonkers. Um, what is French? <laughs> like, is that real? Like, is this, is this, is it exaggerated? And I just don't know. Cause I'm not French. Like what? Anyway, <laughs> on our last episode, I talked about this movie that I, I had watched recently called the crime is mine. Well, that's its English title, but it's a French movie and it's about like a trial, but it takes place in like the thirties and it's also in a French court and it's like this, except it's like really weird, obviously, because that movie is way bigger than this and theatrical and everything. So I assumed that was like French <laughs> court, theatrical French court in the 30s. That would not be how it is now. But what? I guess it is. Mm-hmm. 
I was I was watching it this last time with my parents and my dad uh, was a law professor and he used to go teach abroad in Paris um, with an exchange program. And he said they, oh, they do have a different court system. And, and they, he mentioned, I, I forget it now, it was like the, the inquisitive style or there, there's something where it's like there's a different approach they have in the court to like finding the truth. Um, and it's, it's it's looser with what you can say and what you can propose. Yeah. Clearly. Um, but anyway, I do wonder because that section is doing a ton of thematic work, right? Where, as you brought up earlier, Michael, it's about storytelling and, um, again, the way that people present themselves and the stories that they um, construct out of reality and public perception of artists, all these things. Um, but I, so I wonder if there is maybe like an earlier place where that could have gone, but then you'd end up with a really long first half of, of act two, uh, in a way that would feel really draggy and not like it was escalating quickly enough or, yeah, I just wonder if, I just don't know, you know, this movie's nominated for, for screenplay as well as for editing at the Oscars both of which it, it soundly deserves. Um, and I know that it, uh, Justine Trier's original cut of it was an hour longer. What? So I do, it was an hour wow. longer. Um, so one whole hour of this movie hit the cutting hmm. room floor uh, before it went to canon. So I do wonder if maybe that was in a different place or mm. if this it was structured, it's simply structured differently. Um, before, and then that section is doing such amazing thematic work that it couldn't go, but also maybe it does kind of create a speed bump in the second half of the second act, uh, albeit it's a very thematic speed bump. Speaking of restraint, like cutting an hour out of your movie is, you Damn. know, <laughs> like to, to really be able to be that after everything has been like written and shot and everything. And maybe it's not always the director's choice, but I, I really respect when people realize like you gotta, you gotta <laughs> trim it down. Yep. Speaking of killers yep. of the flower moon. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of Oppenheimer, but we right. aren't yet. We'll get there. We'll get right over there. Lots of movies could take lessons from this movie. Yeah. Uh-huh. What's your lesson, Michael? Yeah. I, so, I've been thinking a lot about acting. I think because we have this conversation about acting episode coming up next week and knowing that it's been on the horizon as I've sort of been trying to collect my thoughts on it. And as we talked about in Poor Things last episode, Emma Stone's performance was just like 10 out of 10. This is perfect. Like you can't, this is, this is it. You did it. Win in my brain. And so then to see this movie in which there was another amazing performance that's in a very different style. It's kind of like thrown me. And I almost didn't even notice how amazing the performance was until halfway through when I remembered, all oh, right, this is a performance. And so just the sort of acting as a another tool in the toolbox, right? The style of acting. And so this movie being so naturalistic sends different messages to the audience and conveys different information than a bigger, more theatrical style of performance might be. As we're saying, you know, we we want inside the heads of these characters, but the film and the acting style is preventing us from having access to that. 
but there are acting styles in which like that's all that it's about like you could be totally cartoony and someone's like did you do this and you could be like "Uh, no like shrug and like clearly that performance is signaling this character is lying audience and so just that the dial of like acting style and where you set that if you have these actors that are amazing and can do all these different things um it's just really interesting it's making me appreciate the sort of naturalism style because i've often said i like movies that the movie starts and it's like, hey, I'm a movie. I'm going to tell you a story. We're going on a fantasy land adventure and like whatever, whatever the context is. I really like movies that are fine with just being a story being told. It's interesting to see a movie that is trying to create for similitude and the realistic vibe of all of it and succeeding in such an excellent way and using that. I think you were even making this point earlier, Alex, like it's not doing that just to be cool like it's doing that like very intentionally and very well driving toward its goal yeah uh yeah i mean her performance in this is great it's it's, i had the same thing where i was like oh yeah i forgot this was a performance for a second and um you know there's some talk about margot robbie not getting nominated uh this year but like Annette Benning, Lily Gladstone, Sandra Hewler, Carrie Mulligan, Emma Stone. Like this is just an yeah. insane <laughs> category this year. And uh, and I, you know, I, I am very impressed by it. We should have nominated six. Yep. <laughs> I mean, they're just, we could have had six. Yep. I have no problem with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, okay, that's why I'm really excited that we've, we've chosen to do the conversation about acting. Because I think it's, I think it's going to be really enlightening and even just knowing that that's on the roadmap has already changed my framework of watching these movies. And so I'm liking, I'm liking what we're, we're doing these little different things, shaking it up a little bit. It, it creates a nice little perspective shift. Um, what else have you guys been watching recently? Alex, what have you been watching recently? Uh, recently I watched uh, the Netflix anime series, Cyberpunk Edgerunners. Um, uh, indeed. I was inspired because hey. I, I dove back into the video game, Cyberpunk 2077, uh, recently, uh, which is a very impressive game. And uh, the, I think there was a piece of cross marketing in the game that I discovered like an Easter egg and it totally worked. I was a victim of, <laughs> you know, this this marketing gag in the game where you kind of find a like a headset and it shows you a clip from the anime and it's like, what is this? Um, I was curious about the anime because I'd heard it was very good. Um, and I was now into this world of cyberpunk 2077. And so it, it was nice because I, I like Michael am very uh, inept when it comes to my like anime literacy. I haven't seen a lot. Uh, I've seen some of the you know, Miyazaki movies, but just not, not familiar with what is a vast, amazing world of storytelling and just different perspective and just art. Um, and so it was nice to have this in of this, you know, Western video game cyberpunk to like give me access to this wild anime series. And it's just, yeah, it, it was it was fun to go live in that world and that genre where it's just like violence is so extreme, but also so like beautifully rendered and artistic and it's just a very interesting, pure, raw energy form. Uh, and and I just, I, I enjoyed it. So I, I need to be more open to more anime. And I'm happy that Cyberpunk uh, cross-marketed me into watching an anime <laughs> series. Nice. 
I watched it when I got COVID for the first time. And so I was in sort of just like a weird delirium, like fever dream. Perfect. And it was exactly perfect. I couldn't tell you anything that happened in that, but I really enjoyed my time with it. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> uh, Trisha, what have you been watching? Uh, yes. So if you like Anatomy of a Fall, then I have another movie you'll probably like um, that I saw. It's called The Eight Mountains. It's from 2022. Uh, it's an Italian film, and it is about these two friends, and it's just about their relationship, and they uh, live way – one of them is, like, lives a shepherd. He's a shepherd, essentially, and lives, like, way up on a mountainside in the Italian Alps, um, and he's very, like, in touch with nature and, um, like – midway through the movie like builds a cat like an alpine cabin like way up there um that you have to hike up all day like eight hours to get to the cabin and and whatnot um and then you know his friend is more of like a city kid uh who just visits this town for the summers and and it's kind of it spans yeah like 20 30 years of their life um and the different phases of their friendship and the differences in their values and and just who they become. And it's really lovely. It's really quiet, but it's also just this riveting little drama. And it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. I don't know if you know, but the uh, Alps are beautiful. Um, they're quite something. And uh, this movie is is about, yeah, nature and and humans' relationship with nature. And so, yeah, really strongly recommend. I just, I love the hell out of it. The Eight Mountains. Nice. Nice. Very cool. I hiked up an elk once. Great job. Yeah, just just the one? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't hike up all of them. Yeah. Okay. That's fair, I guess. Sounds Well, deep. what have you been watching recently? <laughs> what a segue. I would love to share my favorite movie of the year that we haven't talked about uh, or are not talking about, hashtag past lives, um, which is All of Us Strangers. Um, which was, yeah, the, yeah, the, the Andrew Hay film, um, starring Andrew Scott and Paul Mescal is, uh, two sort of lonely men in London who strike up a relationship. Um, it also stars Claire Foy and Jamie Bell as Andrew Scott's parents. And if you're thinking, wait a minute, they're not old enough to play as parents. That's you what, are right. That's what I was thinking. Uh, the movie operates in kind of its own surreal dream space and it has its own rules uh and they're basically the only four characters in the movie almost entirely so it's sort of this part play part tone poem and absolutely loved it um it's one of these movies that just puts you in this emotional space and when it's over you have to like re-engage with the world and remember how to do that you know that's <laughs> just it's often my favorite kind of movie uh so it's like you know i love kind of emotional relationshipy movies and i love weird kind of artsy tone mood movies. And this is both of those at once. Uh, so yeah, highly recommended all of us strangers. Nice. Very nice. Cool. Michael. Uh, so I recently watched Fargo season five, uh, which is excellent. I went back and then rewatched most of the Fargo seasons. I'm, I'm at the end of season three and I just, it's making me re reappreciate how much I love this show. Uh, season one is really fun. Season two is excellent. I think it might be my favorite. Three is a little bit bumpier than I remember. And I remember four being a little bumpy for me too. Uh, but five, 
was weird and exactly the way I like things to be weird. And it's very much about things. It has meaning. And I like, <laughs> I like shows that have meaning. Uh, Whatever could you and, be talking about? <laughs> so, so, uh, Doing us on Patreon for <laughs> yeah. the show we decided to talk about. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it, I mean, and so like the performances are great. John Hamm, it's really fun seeing him be kind of like, you know, a bad guy in a way. And and uh, Juno Temples is amazing in it. She's incredible. Like, I, I, yeah, I was blown away by her. Um, it's fun to see Joe Keery in something that isn't Stranger Things as John Hamm's. Son. Like, so just the cast is really fun. The episodes are weird but each one like makes you want to go to the next one and want to live in this world and i like this sort of they take a left turn and this episode is totally unrelated to what was happening before plot wise you think but meaning wise and thematically it's like 100 percent about all of it and even just the i'm not going to spoil the last episode but i like that the show is not afraid to just sit down and be like we're going to talk about what things mean and mm logic rationality like be damned at times or not be damned but leave it to your imagination to decide how much of this is real and what isn't real what is important is what all this means and what we're talking about and that's like front and center in the show and it's just funny and fun so also trisha the the last basically act of the finale is essentially a direct response to a certain scene from no country for old men in a really cool and interesting way. Um, and that <laughs> is all gonna, okay. 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 Damn. I'll watch it. Okay. Fine. Is that, is fine. that why yeah. I loved that scene? So uh -huh. like it was, that was, like, you have to then go rewatch the other scene and, and realize how, oh, yeah. Snap. Okay. I, I yeah. like, I knew that I knew what it was doing and it made me so happy. Mm -hmm. You just made me sign up for five seasons yep. of TV. <laughs> no, you just have to watch the anthology watch series. You can just watch the one season. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to just watch the one season, right? Like, yeah. Well, do yourself a favor and watch the other ones too. At least one right. through three. Um, anyway, Fargo, season five. Thumbs big up for me. Nice. Okay. Well, yeah. So this has been our conversation about Anatomy of a Fall. Um, next week, we'll be back talking about uh, acting. Our conversation about acting will be exclusive over on the Beyond the Screenplay Patreon. We want to say a big thank you to our patrons that make this show possible. Thank you to our producer, Vince Major. Thank you to our editors, Donovan Bullen, Caleb Berg, and Jose Gomez. I'm Michael Tucker, and I'm joined today by Trisha Rand, Brian Bittner, and Alex Cayeros. Send us a tweet and say hi. All of our Twitter handles are in the show notes, and we will see you in the next episode for A Conversation about acting. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. <laughs>